Have you ever tried to have a conversation with someone about something that mattered incredibly and it just didn't go anywhere at all? Ever tried to have that conversation with your teenager about their next step in life, about how important it is, what they value, and somehow the conversation ended up on what size tires are best for an ATV? You know what I mean? You you try to have that conversation with your significant other about the future of your relationship, and you end up talking about Taco Bell. Yeah, you, you just don't know what's going to happen. Trying to have important conversations and they go nowhere. I think that that happens more times than we think in our interactions with God, with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit. Because we have this wrong picture in our mind of who they are. So uh, if you grew up in the church, I think it's so easy for us to have this picture of Jesus that is that he kind of glides from place to place, from interaction to interaction, that he's always completely under control and that he's, he's either this um, very serious guy or this wimpy guy that just kind of moves through the process. And that picture that we have impacts our ability to hear his, his message to us his call on our lives. If you didn't grow up in church, your picture of Jesus may be equally as wrong. It may be shaped by the media in our current culture. It may be shaped by all kinds of stuff, stuff that you've heard little bits and pieces, and you have this picture of Jesus that's not clear either. Uh, At North Point, we want you to know that we take Jesus incredibly seriously. The reason that we've done these videos is to try and help identify the wrong image that people have of Jesus. In this case, uh, Jesus trying to have a serious conversation, the guy's blowing up, the wrong image of Jesus, so that we can look at scripture and say, no, 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 that's not my Jesus. That's the theme of this series. For the last three weeks, we've tried to clarify who Jesus really is by saying, that's not my Jesus. My Jesus My Jesus challenged religious leaders to have a relationship with him. He challenged them to get away away from all the trappings and to have an authentic relationship with him. My Jesus didn't dismiss pursuers. He, He accepted pursuers, but challenged them to take another step in their walk. Last week, Jake talked about um, who Jesus really is, that he didn't just dismiss people who were broken and not paying attention to them and just walk past them. Jesus embraced people in their brokenness and loved them and loved them back to him. Today, we're talking about people who were maybe oblivious to Jesus, people who were just completely unaware of uh, of Jesus. I, I, when you think about people that you're not engaged with, people who are oblivious to you, what, what's your immediate reaction? How do you treat them? For most of us, I think that we just walk past them. If somebody doesn't pay attention to me, I'm not going to pay attention to them, right? Not spiteful. I've just got other things to do, places to be, people to see. And so I'm not going to spend the time on people that, that aren't concerned about me. Not my Jesus. I'm When we talk about people as they interacted with Jesus, it seems to me that there are probably four different types of interaction that that people had with Jesus in the New Testament and even today. Four different kinds of interaction. The first is that they would become a disciple, that they would interact with Jesus and they would become a disciple. Now let's do a quick review from several months ago. 
what's our working definition of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus? A disciple is someone who follows Jesus, is being changed by Jesus, and is committed to the mission of Jesus. Again, a disciple is someone who follows Jesus, is being changed by Jesus, and is committed to the mission of Jesus. So, so one type of interaction led to people who became disciples of Jesus. Jesus said to Peter, James, um, Andrew, John, um, leave it all. Come, follow me. And they left their nets, they left their business, and they followed Jesus completely. Uh, a second way that people interacted with Jesus was that they were willing, but they, uh, that they were interested, but they weren't willing to make a commitment to Jesus. They, they, they were the people that came and listened to Jesus teach. They were interested, but not willing to make a commitment. In Acts 26, there's a, there's a really interesting uh, interaction that's there. If you want to go there and, and read this this afternoon, there's this king named Agrippa that, that the Apostle Paul is talking to. He's telling his story. He's telling about how God rescued him. And, uh, and Paul shares it all with Agrippa, and Agrippa says something really interesting. He says, Paul, you've almost persuaded me to become a Christian. You've told your story. I'm almost there. He was interested, but not willing to take that step. Another way that people interact with Jesus is that they're antagonistic towards Jesus. We see that in our culture a lot. There are people that, that are just violently opposed to who Jesus is and to his message. Um, uh, they deny that he's the son of God. They may deny that, that he even existed. Let me, let me just take kind of a side path here because I think it's important for us to, to grasp some things when we talk about people who are opposed to Jesus. Some people are agnostics. What that means, according to the words, it means that they don't believe that we can know that there is a God. They, they know that there's a God, but they don't believe that we can know him. Gnostic is the, is the Greek, the, the noso is the word to know. Agnostic, not Gnostic. You can't know God. There's, God's there, but we can't really know him. Atheists are different than agnostics. Atheists don't believe that there is a God. Theism is God, right? Atheism is no God. There's no God at all. Agnostics, atheists. And some people are just embraced in their own um, belief system. They believe something completely different, and Jesus doesn't have a place in that at all. Saul, before his conversion, Saul, before his conversion, at the beginning of Acts 9, says, um, you know what, the scripture describes him breathing out threats to try and destroy all of the Christians because he saw them as as an opposition to pure Judaism. He saw them not connected to God at all. So there were disciples, people who became disciples, people who were interested but not willing to make a commitment, people who opposed Jesus, and there were those people who were oblivious. And that's what I really want to talk about today. If you've got your Bibles, um, take them out, turn to John chapter 5. We're going to look at one incident in particular and then reference a couple of others of, of what happened when somebody was just oblivious to Jesus. How do you think that Jesus would react to someone who was oblivious? John chapter 5, uh, feel free to take a Bible out of the back of the front of the pew in front of you or uh, use the app, whatever. I'm going to start reading in verse 2. Now there was in Jerusalem, now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. 
pause just for a second, and let me tell you that um, in, in the late 1800s, this particular site was exca- excavated for the first time. Uh, up through the Middle Ages and into the 1800s, scholars at that point said, you know what, we can't really trust the Bible because John talks about this place and there is no evidence, no physical evidence, any place in Jerusalem for this particular pool that's, that's mentioned in John 5. So we can't trust scripture. In the late 1800s, archaeologists began to do a dig in the northeast quadrant of Jerusalem and found this section that they believed at that point initially, this could possibly be the Pool of Bethesda. As they began to dig and go through the process, what they discovered through that long time was that there, was this, there were these series of pools in northeast Jerusalem that had columns at all four corners of the pools and a fifth column um, towards the front of one that divided two very large pools. Five Columns, five, the five colonnades that John mentions, uh, incredible. It's a it's a site that I was able to look at and see in 2011 when I when I was in Israel, and I remember standing on the side and looking down at the at the picture that's on the right and thinking, that's where this happened, that's where Jesus interacted with this guy. Let's. Uh, the, the, the area of the city was a, would have been a crazy place. It would have uh, probably smelled a lot like a county fairgrounds, right? Because it's close to the sheep gate. So the sheep are coming in to be sold or to be sacrificed. Lots and lots and lots of sheep in this quadrant of the city. Um, the, the pool itself would have been a place that the, that the Jews would have frequented for certain kinds of things. But most Jews would have probably tried to avoid it for the most part because this particular pool had, a, had a, a phenomenon that would happen where the waters would stir and the people thought that the first person in the water would be healed by that stirring of the waters. They thought that an angel stirred the water. Um, the, the, uh, the people in Israel talk even now about what happens when uh, there's some seismic stuff, the wa- the, that area, there's movement that would have probably created the, the water movement. We don't know if people were really healed or not, but that's what they thought. Um, most Jews would have avoided this area because there would have been so many hurting people. Think about a place with lots and lots of lame people, lots of people who are blind, lots of people who are begging, lots of people who are hurting. It wouldn't be a place that everybody would say, oh, I want to go there unless you were hurt and thought that you could find healing there. But not my Jesus. Jesus went there. John continues with the story in verse 5. One who was there, a person who was there, had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Whatever your issue is this morning, do you want to get well? If, if, if we're talking about your physical condition, that's a pretty easy question, right? Do I want my shoulder to get better? It won't work the way that it, I want it to. Absolutely. Do I want the cancer to go away? Absolutely. Do I want these migraines to stop? Absolutely. Do you want to get well? Of course, the answer is yes. But what about the non-physical issues that you bring with you this morning? Do you want to get well from your addiction? Do you want to get well from the messes that just keep occurring because you can't control your tongue? 
Do you want to get well from the desire to eat far more than you need? Or the appeal that's somewhere deep inside you to have the perfect body and that it impacts what and how you eat? Do you want your marriage to get well? Do you want to be a better parent? Do you want your finances to get well? The question that Jesus was asking was a big deal because a lot of the time, we don't like what our lives have become. But we don't really want to get well. Especially if God is the one who defines the answer of what well is. Because getting well will be painful and life-changing. And life-changing is scary. Do you want to get well? That question, the answer seems so obvious for this man. And yet it must have made him think. Verse 7 John goes on, Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, somebody else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up. Pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. Verse 12. The Jewish leaders asked this man, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk, to pick up your mat and walk? Verse 13, look at this. The man who was healed had no idea who it was. For Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Here was a guy who was so oblivious to who Jesus was that he didn't even know him. He had no sense of who he was, of what he taught, of what power he had. He was only concerned about one thing. When the water stirred, he wanted to be the first one in the pool so that his body would be healed. But he can't because his body's broken. And so as a result, every day he's there and he's frustrated and his hope vanishes. And he accepts a life that is less than, less than he anticipated, less than he wanted, less than it could be but he didn't feel like there was any other option. This man is in the presence of the one who can change everything, who can change every aspect of his life, and he doesn't even know it. Jesus was there, and Jesus knew what he was going to do. But this guy, 38 years crippled, didn't. You know, people are oblivious to Jesus for all kinds of reasons. Some people are oblivious to Jesus just simply because they're ignorant, and I don't use that term in a negative sense at all. They just simply don't know. They've never been exposed to Jesus. They've never really heard about him. They've never had any interaction with anybody that would cause them to to think about it. They're, They're ignorant of Jesus, and so they're oblivious to him. Some people know about Jesus, but they've never really had a reason to think about him. They've never had anybody engage them in a conversation. Nobody has ever really challenged them. What do you, what do you think about Jesus? Who do you think Jesus is? Nobody has ever lived in proximity to their life in a way that was so radically different than the rest of the world that it caused them to say, what is it about you that's different? They're oblivious 
because they've never been compelled to think about who Jesus is. Some people, I think, are oblivious to Jesus just simply because they're so busy. They are so caught up in work stuff, so caught up in their house, so caught up in the kids' sports uh, program, so caught up in raising their family, so caught up in so many things that they never think about Jesus. The busyness has taken over. Some people are oblivious to Jesus because Jesus doesn't fit their worldview. It may be that science has become their God, and they see science and Jesus in, in, um, uh, in opposition. It may be that self has become their God, that they're living completely for themselves, and, and Jesus doesn't have a place in that. And so they've, they've not ever uh, considered him. Some people have never gotten to the point that they've crashed and burned and been in such desperate need that they would call out in any direction. And so they're oblivious to Jesus. Some people's lives are so clouded with pain, so clouded with pain that they can't see past the moment. I think, I think um, this guy at the Pool of Bethesda, that may have been his case. He was so consumed with his physical infirmity. He never even thought about Jesus. John finishes the story in verse 14 this way. Later, Jesus found this man at the temple and said, see, you're well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you than being physically ill. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders it was Jesus who had made him well. At his time of need, Jesus jumped into his life, brought healing, and, and showed who he was in all of his power. Out of this story, out of this whole concept of, of how we would expect Jesus to interact with, oblivious, or to, with people who were oblivious to him and how Jesus did react, there's some things I want you to walk away with. The first is this. Even when people are oblivious, God is working in their lives. Even when people are oblivious, God is working in their lives. In all of us, God is working upstream so that we can have that aha kind of moment. You know, that moment when all of a sudden the light goes on and you go, ah! Yeah, yeah. God is working upstream so that we can experience that, God's presence in our lives. We, we love flashbacks, don't we? We love, we love stories that are told through flashbacks that all of a sudden you learn what had happened five years ago or 10 years ago or 15 years ago and that impacts what this character does at this particular point in time. That's the whole idea of God working upstream in our lives, in each of our lives. The pieces that God put in place so that ultimately we could have a relationship with him and ultimately so that we could understand who he is even today. You know, there's a great example of of that in, uh, in our current culture today, March 25th, 2018. What, what is today, what's the world look at today in the religious world and say it is? Palm Sunday. It's the day that Jesus made the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Let me, let me just read from Matthew 21. Uh, As the disciples approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and at once you'll find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter Zion, 
See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, on the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A large crowd spread cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! Do you understand that for the triumphal entry to happen, God had to be working upstream in a way that prepared everything for that moment. In the most immediate time, God was working upstream with some guy who lived in some village that had a donkey. And that guy was willing and ready to be able to say, when somebody came and said, you know what, the master needs your donkey, he was was good with saying, okay, yeah, that's great. God was working upstream for the triumphal entry. God was working upstream a long way before that um, in, in terms of all of Judea and, and Galilee, what was happening, that the crowds knew about Jesus. They had heard him teach, heard him preach. He was working in their lives so that when Jesus came to Jerusalem, there would be this big celebration. God was working way upstream in the lives of the prophets when they prophesied hundreds of years earlier the Messiah's going to come and he's going to ride a donkey that's never been ridden on. And the crowds are going to shout, Hosanna to the son of David. God is working upstream. God was working upstream in the life of Eddie Williams, Bay City Church. If you think about it, you've got this kid in San Francisco whose dad leaves when he's nine, whose mom ultimately dies with cancer. He's, he's growing up into horrible poverty. At, God didn't cause the poverty. God didn't cause his dad to leave. God didn't cause his mom to die. But all of those circumstances come together so that Eddie, when he um, finally interacts with this guy who gives him a Bible when he's in college, and he comes to faith in Jesus and becomes a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, when he gets married, he's an NFL player and thinking, God, what do you want me to do? God has been working upstream in his life to say, you know what? San Francisco is where you need to be. His experience as a child called him, pulled him to San Francisco to plant a church there. God is working upstream in his life. Think about the hundreds of people, potentially the thousands of destinies that will change because of the work that God did upstream in Eddie Williams' life. You know, Two, uh, over two billion people have heard the gospel preached because a Sunday school teacher named Eddie Kimball was praying for boys in his Sunday school class. He was compelled to visit one of them in a shoe store. And Eddie Kimball went and talked to a little boy named Dwight Moody, challenged him to become a disciple of Jesus. Moody became a disciple, became an evangelist. And one day when he was preaching, there was a professional baseball player professional baseball player, had an off day. He went to hear Moody speak, and he became a follower of Jesus. That professional baseball player's name was Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday became an evangelist, and he began to preach. And one time when he was preaching, there was this guy there who was a lawyer named Mordecai Ham. Mordecai Ham heard Sunday preach and became a follower of Jesus. He was called to preach as well. Mordecai Ham is, is preaching in North Carolina at, at this big meeting. And um, in his meeting one night, he, he calls out the high school boys in the community who are skipping school in the middle of the day and going to a house of prostitution in town. 
Mordecai Ham does that in his message. This boy in town named Billy Frank hears about Ham's, Ham doing this, and he, he decides that night he's going to go hear Ham speak because he thinks there's going to be this huge confrontation that takes place between Ham and these kids from the high school that he's called out. Billy Frank goes, and ultimately the next night he comes to faith in Jesus. Billy Frank grows up to be an evangelist that we know as Billy Frank Graham. who in his lifetime preaches to over 2 billion people. God is working upstream in all of our lives. Why does God work upstream? With people who don't pay any attention to him, with people who are oblivious to him, he does it because he loves us. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You know, there are other stories in the Bible that talk about people who are oblivious to Jesus. The Samaritan woman, the woman at the well, man, she didn't come to the well that day looking for Jesus. She just came to get water. But God was working upstream in her life and brought Jesus at just the right time so that even though she was oblivious, she would become the vehicle that would turn the entire town where she lived to Jesus. In, in John chapter 9, there's a blind man. The disciples are walking past, and the disciples say to Jesus, you know what, there's this blind guy here. Who, why is he blind? Who caused that blindness? Was, did, did his parents sin, or did he sin? Jesus said, no, he's blind so that the power of God could be demonstrated. That guy didn't come looking for Jesus. He was oblivious to Jesus. But Jesus healed him, and his life changed forever. How did Jesus interact with people who were oblivious to him? He went to them. He went to where they were, and he engaged them in conversation in a way that made them think. He showed compassion for them, for their circumstances, and he took action. Let me just take a second and say, you know what? We we sent out 10,000 postcards uh, this, this weekend to DeWitt, St. John's, Langsburg, North Lansing, to that area. And the postcards are, are different kinds of, they're not Easter postcards, right? There's an enchilada on the postcard. But they say Easter, the whole enchilada, because they're designed to go to people who are oblivious to Jesus, to make them think, to say, what, what could Easter have in common with an enchilada? How's that fit? Designed to start a conversation, but to go where they are. We've been talking for the last year and a half about the vision that we have to impact 50,000 people in five years with the grace of Jesus. What's that about? It's not just about our need to show the grace of Jesus. It's, It's actually about people who are oblivious to Jesus, being coming in contact with the grace of Jesus in a way that's compelling, that makes them think, what's going on with that? It's designed to have people say, why are you so willing to pray for me when my life is so messed up? Why are you willing to buy me new tires for my car when you don't really even know me? Why are you willing to drive 45 minutes to come see me in the hospital? Why are you willing to watch my kids so I can go on a date with my spouse? Why are you willing to be my friend if I know that you don't agree with me about politics or gender or sex? 
Jesus went to people who were oblivious, engaged them in conversation, showed compassion, and took action. Here's where I want to land today with, uh, with just three steps for you, three, three challenges as we finish. Here's the challenge. First of all, take inventory of your life. Recognize that God has been working upstream in your life. And maybe you haven't taken some time for a while to stop and think, oh, you know what? In order for this to happen, God did this and this and this and this a long time ago. Thank him for the way that he has been working upstream in your life. Start looking for God's hand and follow his leading. Take inventory. The second thing is, is this. Take a step. You know what? If, if, you're, um, if you're oblivious, maybe your step today, maybe, maybe you've never really considered Jesus. The step that I want to challenge you to take is to just consider him, to start to pursue him, to start to do some study and see what that looks like. Maybe if you've been interested in Jesus but never taken the step to become a disciple, that's the step that you need to take. Maybe you're in opposition to Jesus and you just need to take a step to say, am I sure that I'm right in this process? The third, the third challenge is this. Take courage. If there is someone in your life who is oblivious to Jesus, who doesn't comprehend at all that God is working in their life, take courage. Don't be afraid to ask them legitimate questions. Not questions that are leading questions that you already have the answer for, but to ask them questions to just try and figure out how they're thinking, what they're thinking about, how, how Jesus might fit in their world. Be faithful and consistent in praying and know that God is the one who will make himself known. Take inventory. Take step. Take courage. Let's pray. God, we recognize this morning that our default is to only take interest in people who are interested in us to only reciprocate a relationship but Lord we are so grateful so grateful that you pursue us even when we're oblivious God I thank you right now for the, for the people that we know that, uh, that we here at North Point this morning know in our lives that we care about and love that are living and they're oblivious to you. God, we want them to have a relationship with you. But it's not even on their radar. Lord, we ask that you would show yourself to them. Lord, we ask that you would use us in a way that, that you use Jesus to do that help us ask great questions. You'd help us go to people. You'd help us to not just ignore the oblivious, but to go to them. God, do your thing in us that your kingdom might grow, that people might come to know you, that eternity might be different. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus didn't ignore. Jesus went after. That's my Jesus. Jesus.